Welcome to the Beauty Inspires Beauty Podcast, where I've made it my mission to help beauty professionals, creative and independent entrepreneurs like you find the tools, inspiration, and motivation to unlock the abundant life you know you are meant to be living. Each week, you can expect epic guests and solo episodes sharing every tool, trick, and skill set I've learned on my own 20-year journey to grow and scale your life and business. I'm your host, Jessica Bergio, former salon owner turned beauty business mentor and crazy multi-passionate entrepreneur, here to share incredible stories and insight about how others got started and the unconventional path they took to get there. My goal is to inspire you to reach your business and life goals with confidence to achieve your dream life through creating non-negotiables and boundaries without sacrificing your personal well-being and relationships. I know firsthand how real burnout can be. So if you're ready to stop the overwhelm and get clear and focused, you're in the right place, babe. Let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Inspires Beauty Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Bergio, and I'm super excited and honored and, uh, did I say excited? Yeah, to have my very first amazing mentor here with us today. His name is Abe. Um, Abe, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Glad to be here. Fabulous. So I could give you a 25-minute edification on Abe of all the ways that he changed my life, shaped my career, and gave me basically the path to have a dream business in this industry that we have. Um, for that, I want to say thank you, Abe, because you know how much of an impact you've had in my life. Um, and I know how many people you've had an impact on in their life and their career that worked with you and for you and around you, let alone all of the clients that you've touched over the years. Um, it was through Abe that I learned how to properly communicate as a young stylist in my early 20s. Abe taught me how to have thoughtful conversation, how to ask better questions before that was even like a thing, how to genuinely show up as your authentic self, even if you didn't really know who you were in your early 20s. That was something I was still trying to figure out Um, and really pushed me to try things, to to think outside of the box and to kind of um, step into that power that hairdressing has with those clients and to be able to create relationships with people that have lasted for me 20 plus years and for you even longer. So um, without further ado, my friend, I'm honored to have you because I just hit five over 5,000 downloads for the podcast. And I wanted to save you till we had some, you know, ears on the show and we had some, some people who could really um, take something away from getting to hear you speak. And I, as I jumped on, I said, I don't even know where to start when you've known someone for as long as I've known Abe, which is, I think I just turned 20, 21, um, around that. And I'm 40 now. So it's been a long time. It's been a long, long time. time. Yeah. 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 And I, I, first I want to apologize because I never sent you my bio. And as you were talking about it, it's like, it's kind of sometimes the person that I am and how I am, it's embarrassing. Uh, sometimes I look at, you know, read over what, what's on there and what you've done and all that. And I think I'm at the point in my life where it's like, that stuff means nothing to me. I look at more of the sacrifice and what I went through to get there. That has more impact on me than, than being able to say that I've done this, done that. So, you know, every time somebody asks me for bio, I sit and look at it and stare at it and stare at it. I'm like, can I just put hi, I'm Abe. Like, and not have to put all that stuff because it, it really, as much as it's like, woohoo, I always tell people that is the the way that you get relevance with people or people can check off a box and say, okay, he's he's a good one because look at everything he's done, right? Instead of just being authentic and being like, look, that all doesn't matter. You know, the the, 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 the underlining stuff is what matters the most. 
you know, I wish my bio had more of just, I went through all this shit instead of I got all this shit, right? <laughs> well, don't you worry. That's what podcasts are for. We want to do that shit as to how you got there. And, you know, as I've pushed myself out of the box of just being behind the chair, you know, 20 years of conversation with people, with you, um, other great mentors that I've been so lucky to have, it's, it's in that humbleness of the experiences that you went through that shaped you into who you are now and makes those things, the accomplishments, not necessarily not relevant, but had you not done the work, had you not gone through the experience that you wouldn't be able to teach and share with other people. And yep. as my friend and as someone who I've always just, even if we've drifted apart, not talked in a while or a few years, like I always see you and I watch you and, you know, it's like we pick back up where we left off every single time. Um, and I think you teaching me that without actually teaching me that the being humble, the staying out of your ego, the staying out of your own way, even if you will. Um, I've, I've personally like, watch that and learn that lesson through you and always know that it's not in our accomplishments that we get the, the credit it's in the experience of doing the thing of growing of showing up and all of that so um yeah i love that you're still humble but you know i do <laughs> i do think you should do a nice humble brag and, and tell us what does that bio say that i didn't get um that i have been doing hair for about 29 years i've owned uh, i work for robert chromings i started my business with them um, worked for them for nine years, uh, opened my first salon was a 5,000 square foot salon. Uh, we had 34 employees, ended up having, uh, something on all three floors. We had a spa and a cafe and all that stuff. I traveled the world. At one point I was doing about, uh, 30 something, 34, 35 weekends a year on the road, uh, traveling the world, teaching on stage everywhere, doing runway shows, fashion shows. I worked on television, uh, stuff. Uh, photo shoots, uh, behind the chair, six-figure hairdresser behind the chair, almost my whole career. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot there. There's a know. list. There's a list. But it, it, wasn't yeah. without, it wasn't without sacrifice. It wasn't without a lot of hard work and with, without, you know, belief being poured into you. Because I feel like, you know, when you and I started, this wasn't one of the careers that it is now. Now it's like a thriving, lucrative people look to their stylists as someone as like an, like a real, we'll say job, right? A real career. But when you and I started, I wasn't such, it was, this is what people did when they couldn't figure out what else they were good at. And yeah. I think people like you and I, and I will toot our own horns, have shifted the industry along with many other people who started back when we did and before us, um, have made it what it is, have worked super hard to level up the industry to where now stylists can charge three, four, five hundred dollars for their work and their time is valuable and they're seen as as a leader rather than um, I don't even want to put a word to it, you know, but it's definitely people like you that have pushed us to like elevate the industry for sure. Thank you. You know, it's it's foundational, right? So people before us poured a foundation for us and we kept pouring and and now the new group. And, and I equate it to social media has changed everything for this new crew. And I look back now and sometimes I'm envious. It's like, if we had what they had, we'd be, it's so different position uh, in life right now, but you know, it is what it is. You know, like you look at sports, right? Like players today get 14, 15, $16 million a year. And the players that laid the foundation of the game were only getting like $500, $600, $1,000, you know, in the beginning, like, you know, but, they have a certain thing that they laid the foundation down for. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see the industry now and it's completely changing. And I think it's going to change again uh, um, dramatically in the near future. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's crazy. It really is. And, and I think people getting on social media and looking at people's pages and, and all the, the tutorials that are going on and the, and the videos that get put out definitely gives a different as, uh, aspect to what we do. You know, so they see the inner inner uh, workings of a lot of the stuff that we do that gives more respect to people. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the yeah. complexity of like what it takes to create some of the work that's being put out now. It's not just, you know, the super basic stuff that used to be done. It, and the new terminology that's being renamed for a lot of stuff that we used to do back in the day. It's just like, you're calling that what now? Like, I'm like, okay, I love that. Right. Part of me is a hater. And then the other part of me is like, you go girl. Like, you change <laughs> So it's yours, you know, like taking ownership of, of making small tweaks. And that's, that's the coolest thing that I see people just like getting outside of the box. Um, and it inspires me to like step my game up too. So I do appreciate that. But for real, what you said about like social media, I'm, I still feel so new to the social media game, even though like I show up as much as I can now. Um, yeah, the first, what, 10 years, I mean, it was, we did old school guerrilla marketing. Abe used to send me out to get clients. He's like, you got a gap in your day. You want a client, you go out and find one. It was as simple as that. And if it was those who went out and got the clients that built their business, you know, under Abe's watchful eye and direction, like I built my clientele within six months, I was making close to six figures. Um, and that now I feel like is, is unheard of. People take forever to grow in an industry. And I, I, I've always try to pick apart what it is that sets the successful ones or the ones who seemingly have made it in the industry apart from the other ones. And you've raised so many stylists, like where does your passion come from having assistants, growing them, teaching them and just sharing like you do? Well, it's For me, it's giving back, right? The first part is you, you have been given something and I feel like it's my responsibility to pass that on. And as a young kid, I remember um, my mom had a friend who had a salon and my mom told me, Hey, go work with her. I'll, I'll get you in. You know, she's my friend. And the woman wouldn't give me the time of day, mm-hmm. uh, because of how I looked or, you know, I was just out of school or, you know, whatever it was. And I remember leaving school and going to a lot of salons. And at that time, I didn't know you probably think I spoke the same now, but at that time I was so just street thug, you know, Dickies, flannels, bald head, um, and I, I get, you know, why people wouldn't give me a chance. So I, I tend to feel that in my heart, like I want to give somebody a chance and teach them and anything, anybody can be anything if you put your heart and mind to it and really want it. And one of the things I look for when we hire kids is, is that if they're coachable, because if they're coachable, then they'll take everything that we give them. I don't care how talented they are and, and how, you know, how good they are at certain things, because, you know, as being an assistant, you get broken down what they teach you in school isn't what you do in the salon. And we re, we break you and teach you and, and give you the right tools to be successful in a different environment. Um, so, you know, taking from Robert and, and learning everything that he gave me, and then I just wanted to pass that on. So I give people opportunities and I want to teach. That's part of also me growing. Um, you know, you talk about the kids now and where they're at. And in my career as a young hairdresser, I worked with a lot of older hairdressers that, you know, were amazing but you can tell they were dated. Like they hadn't caught up. And sometimes I feel like that now. And so teaching, you know, younger kids, it actually helps you because they give you, I had a, 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 a high school friend that I was uh, hit me up on social media and wanted me to do her daughter's hair. And her daughter said she wanted um, skunk and wolf haircut. And I'm like, what, uh, what is that? So I had to look it up. I called somebody and I'm like, what the hell is a wolf? Wolf haircut was like a, just a modern shag. And she wanted the skunk stripes that we used to do back in the nineties that everybody wanted. And I'm like, oh my God, just terminology, just alone. I felt old. I felt like I'm that old guy. That's not 
that's, that's, that I used to look at and be like, damn, they need to get with it. Right. So being around younger people actually helps because they help you with all that stuff and, and get you moving and going. And But there's nothing you have nothing if you don't give back what you were taught, if you're not passing that on, um, you don't, you know, like I taught you. And for me, you got me, you got Robert, you got Jim Bra, who learned from Vidal Sassoon because they learned from Paul Mitchell. Like you get this just amazing bloodline. You get going, you know, and what I love doing is. Um, I don't just teach the hair side. I want to teach the business side, you know, and you hit that on at the beginning. And that was the one thing that I was thankful for Robert. Um, you know, I, Robert didn't really make me the hairdresser that I am as a hair cutter. I think I give that to Takashi. Um, you know, he was amazing at teaching me a lot of stuff after Robert that, that molded me into a different type of hairdresser. But Robert taught me the business side and how to really refine myself because of who I was when I came to him to be able to get clients in a certain way and do certain things. Cause me walking down in fashion Valley, trying to get a client, they think I'm stealing from them and trying to, you know, molest them. And uh, so you have to change it, change the game, you know, and, and, and that's a hard thing. Totally. And I, I'll yeah. tell you, like, so I, when I started working at Robert Crummings, Abe was one of the master stylists at the salon. Um, and out of, I think there was what, at least 30 stylists at the time in the salon and then maybe 40 at the time. I can't remember. I remember there was 15 or 20 of us assistants in there. Um, there was very few, there were two things I was just going to say. One, speaking on what you were talking about, how you looked and how people were showing up. Luckily we had a dress code, so we all wore black. So there was some underlying level of like, this is what we all kind of formed in a box, but you could tell each individual person had their own style. And I remember feeling like I'd found my place when I walked in there thinking, I get to show up as however I want this creative like space of one day you have blonde hair, one day you have purple hair. Like, it's just like such a freeing feeling to be in an industry where you can be whoever you want um, first. And then the second thing was there were a handful of people in that salon that had a heart centered teaching mind like you. And I think it came from where you came from that at the time, nobody gave you the time of day when you started. And it was like, probably why you're so passionate about sharing and teaching is because you want everybody, no matter what they look like, no matter where they came from, to be able to have an opportunity to have a thriving career. And I think for me, that's what sets you apart and why you've had such an impact, you know, and so many people who have gone on to have really super successful careers. Um, myself included, I think, um, you know, the things that, like you said, broke us when we were assistants, I look back all the time and I'm grateful for every conversation, everything that happened. I don't think it always has to be the way it was for us, but um, you know, like all good hard lessons, it teaches you something and, and hopefully you refine that and teach it in a little bit softer, nicer way. But right. the, those foundations like grounded us for who we are in the, in the careers. We, and I think that's why we've lasted as long as we've lasted too. Yeah, I, I have uh, hairdressers that I've taught come in and hang out with me for a day or so just to be around me and they, they get really upset. Um, and how I am now with my assistants because I'm not the way I was and it's it's kind of like the 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 you know when you're the first child you yep. get beat up by your parents and then your youngest kid can go out till one o'clock in the morning where you, you had to be home at nine and they you don't get in trouble it's kind of, yeah right oh, I don't no. know if I've just kind of given up on on the hardcore stuff because it's like repetitive you know sit 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 and they don't do it and it's just like okay I'm over that shit um, but you know I, I think it's just refining um, that definitely this generation is different. So you got to be talked to them different. Um, you know, when the, when the millennials first came out, that's all I ever talked about was how much I hated millennials because they were just like, they would drive me nuts. But then I got to appreciate them, you know, um, 
you see them in like, uh, I'll give you an example of uh, my friend, Desperate Besma, who we used to fight all the time, but I would give her like two weeks worth of work and she would finish it in a day and then want the rest of the time for vacation. Right. And that's where it upset me. Cause I'm like, well, why you got other days to work? She's like, but I did all your work already, you know, but it's like, I got to appreciate that the, their mindset is so different, you know, um, where mine was growing up. My parents taught me, you work your ass off, you work, 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 work. You don't question you keep working you'll get where they have more of like what am I going to get for the work I'm going to do but they're going to do the work double fast of what we did you know so you learn to appreciate that stuff and you're like okay I, I can kind of change the way I am a bit and tweak it a little bit especially if you want to kind of move with the times you have to you have no choice yeah. with it yeah. you know I, I appreciate the young kids especially the ones now that are social media savvy because it's insane what they can do um, but my only thing with social media is that sometimes it can be a crutch you know, uh, because social media just shows all the good stuff and not the bad. So when they get hit with the bad, it's like punched in the face. You know, Mike Tyson says, what are you going to do when you get punched in the face? Right. Like, how are you going to react? And a lot of them don't react good when they get punched in the face. You know, it's like, oh, because all they see is good. You know, it's everybody's highlight reel. There's no no hard, you know, like bullshit of, oh, my God, I'm struggling with this. I tell Melissa, can you imagine if we had on our on our page instead of showing all the good shit we do, we have all our fights right like hey let me show you what we're fighting about today like nobody would be interested because it's not the highlight reel of hey we're on set working on a movie you know it's like they want to see all that good shit you'd have a reality show that's what's on tv you would you would elevate <laughs> social media they would pay you <laughs> right <laughs> that is like there's two parts to social media for me i feel like it's what you just said and then i also feel like there's so much that's been done or is being done that it prevents a lot of people from stepping out of the box and, and trying something and owning something and starting something because they see 20,000 other people are already doing it better than they are. I'm like, well, you haven't even started. So of course they're better than you. And so yeah. does it a little better or different than you? Someone's always going to be prettier and more fit and smarter and younger and like all the things. But if you let any of those reasons hold you back, but I think it creates fear. It creates scarcity mindset. It creates you know, in some people, the opposite motivation, but also I think more so it holds people back from starting because they are, they already see it happening versus like, oh, I wonder if I could, and then they would have nothing to compare it to. Now we can look everything up. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had an assistant who was amazing and she's probably the best assistant I've ever had. And um, I sent her to a show and she got to sit and listen to somebody talk and she came back so defeated. She's like, I'm the same age as that girl. And that girl has like 200,000 followers and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you can't compare your situations. You know, she did something that allowed that to happen. You're doing a different direction and you're going to be something different. Like, you, you know, and, and, and that's, that's definitely a hard part for people because they definitely live off of that. You know, like, what are they doing? Well, why don't I have that? They try too hard. It's like, you got to find your niche, your brand, be who you are and people will come. I agree. And then I also think like, because of social media, it's created this, I think I need more. I think I have to make more. I think I have to do more in order to be happy or successful. And like, you are an amazing example of someone who like, you realize less is more. I don't need all the things like that's a bunch of, you know, bullshit. Right. And so yep. the way, the, when you simplified, like watching you do that over the last couple of years, especially with COVID pushing you to that very last piece of it, like has been really eye-opening for me. And I think also as we get older, we realize stuff isn't what makes us happy. Um, yeah. But like, so just for a backstory, like Abe was married, had two kids, ran the salon with his ex-wife at the time. And it was a full-time gig. They were there 
morning, noon, and night. And I'm sure they took all the work home with them. It was like a 24 seven, 365 job that they ran and did. And that worked for as long as it did until it didn't work anymore. So can you kind of walk us through, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that time in your life, maybe you feel is a failure because I know you take everything that happens and, and find the, the, the positive out of it and the lessons in it. But as your friend, can you share with us? So a little bit of that backstory of what that looked like in that transition? Yeah, you know, I had that salon for, for eight or nine years, I think. And um, I left Robert's salon and went to that. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, most people that own salons leave a salon and it's because of certain things. And what I found was that my why, what, what mattered to me, didn't matter to Robert anymore. It, it, it used to be in sync and then it didn't. And I had to have a change to what mattered to me for the survival of me as a person. Um, nothing against, you know, Robert or anything like that is we, I, I chose to leave just like you chose to move on from me. Like this is what happens. And yeah, we get hurt about it. Cause it's like, Oh shit, what did I do? Like, I'm not good enough for you. And I get why he's upset, was upset about it, but you know, you leave and I went and opened up my big salon. And I definitely, I thought after nine years of being with Robert and when I was with Robert, you know, I traveled with him. I, I was, you know, his top, one of his top hairdressers, I, you know, and everything. And I was involved in the business. So I saw the business side because my ex-wife used to run the front desk. So I knew all the ins and outs of everything. So I thought I was ready and opened it up full blast. And the first couple of years basically was to prove Robert wrong. Uh, because he said I was going to fail and I'll end up working at Supercuts. And so I spent the first two years basically just trying to prove him wrong. And I did everything possible to make that. I think we almost hit a million dollars that first, that first year of, of opening up. And um, after a while, when that wears off of the trying to prove him, then it becomes, what do I do now? What, how do I prove somebody wrong when you're not trying to prove them wrong anymore? And then you just start to kind of move into a different direction. And for me, what happened in that salon was I had so many people and in trying to be a hustler, opening up the spa and then opening up the cafe and then opening up the barbershop, I just went too thin and I couldn't do it all on my own. And I was trying to train everybody and I didn't have, you know, uh, after you left, I didn't have a real good leadership in there to help me. Um, so it just got to a point where I was like, I'm done. Like I can't deal with hairdressers anymore. I hated hairdressers for a long time. Because, you know, you, you, you open a business and part of that business is a brand and part of having a brand is a way of doing business. And what you learn really fast in the hair industry is most hairdressers want to be their own boss. So, so to corral them in into your vision and to do what you want to do, they might be into it for a few. And then after a while, they're like, no, I want to do my own shit. Like this is, a, you know, I want my freedom. I want to work when I want to work. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then it just gets to a point where you're just you lose the artistic point of it. The fun part of what I loved about hair was gone. All I was doing was managing a bunch of people. And that was got to me where a point I was like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. I was either going to kill myself or shoot everybody in there. <laughs> it was one or the other. I just couldn't do it. And it wasn't because the salon wasn't doing well. It was just, you know, I'm done. I'm done. And I think the breaking point for me was when I did um, the, um, the membership program. I don't know if you were with me when we did that. Um, and I had that for a while and I took hairdressers that were making like thousand dollar weeks on six days to three days, making, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year with assistance now. And they just couldn't see the brilliance of it. And they got greedy and thought, well, if they were paying regular prices, then I would have double the money not realizing they were only in there because of the situation that it was. And, um, I think that was the breaking point for me because it just, they started losing clients and then they got upset with me. And then I started hearing all the bitching which is, it's hard, you know? I think 
I think if anybody owns opens a salon, they should have a person like a middleman that's their manager that gets all the bitching done and, and stuff because it, you don't want to lose the creativity of what of why you fell in love with hair. And that's one of the things yeah. I've watched over the last you know fifteen years since you and I um, you know haven't worked together is salon stylists thinking that they want to own a salon for xyz reason and not realizing that that also comes with managing your staff managing team managing culture growing culture growing people like it's so much more than you getting to be creative and work your own schedule for those people they they were the smart ones when open the soulless salon by themselves those people yeah. like to stay in their bubble they get to do it the way they want and there's nobody else they can manage um you know, when I worked at the other big salon that I was at too, I saw her struggle with that as well. And it wasn't until she brought in good management that she seemed like she was even able to enjoy being in her own space again. Um, yeah. so, you know, I knew for me when that time came and that <clears throat> a couple of years ago fell in my lap and my end goal was always to sell because I knew I wasn't going to be good at managing people. I knew I couldn't do both. And I, I think I just had to make sure. And so when I opened that space, I was like, yep, nope, don't like to manage people because we are all so different and we are all like, we can be doing a similar business, but everyone in our industry is so different and, and wants a different version of success for their life and for their business. And so it is hard to get everybody on the same page. I think when we were at Roberts, it was like, it was a one size fits all. And same with when I was at the other big salon and it, it, I left for the same reason then was I respected how she ran the business there. And I was like, Hey, I, I would never ask you to change how you structure this, but it doesn't fit my life anymore. So it's time for me to move on and do something else. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, in hindsight, now we know like best practices to move on from a space. We've learned that through trial and error. And it's like, there's a respect level that when you started somewhere, you came from somewhere that you, you should leave uh, when you go. Um, but can you share now, like what has been like, again, in that question, I don't feel like any of that was a failure. I feel like you tried so many things because you're such a, a forward thinking person. Like you always have so many ideas. And I get that, I think from you. Like I'm always full of ideas and it's just like, if you don't have a team or if you don't have support to like take action on those ideas and have like a plan around them, like they don't always come to fruition like you want them to. Um, yeah. But once you moved on from that space, what, what then made you be okay with opening your second space? Um, you know, I went to another salon right. and um, because of who I am as a person and I, so when I shut my salon down, I actually had a meeting and I put everybody in a circle and I put the salon keys in the middle of the circle. And I said, I'm giving the salon to anybody who wants it right now. I'm done. You can have it fully furnished. I will still work here. I will pay my portion of what I need to pay, but I cannot do this anymore. It's yours free done. Nobody took it. Nobody took it. And I'm like, I would have taken it and just sold everything. <laughs> like, if anything, like just sold everything and be like, bye guys. Like I'm giving you fully furnished. Here it is. Nobody wanted to take it. And then they got pissed when I shut it down. But I did it because of me. And what I ended up doing was I found a place. And because I felt bad that I shut the salon down the way I did, that I brought them all with me. And I made a deal with the salon owner to get them all into the chairs there. And because it was a booth rental place, it needed people. So I got them all a deal on the rent and everything else. So I just took my shit with me and it didn't help. So I was like dying. So I was like working a little bit and going off to Vegas and, and getting drunk, you know, every weekend partying, just getting my space different, you know, because it was just like too much for me. Um, so I ended up going to a solo salon and I just did myself and kind of stepped back and just rethought of like what mattered to me. Right. So what mattered to me in the beginning of my career was my children. Um, one day I was coming home from work. Um, I had my first daughter in high school and 
the way the house was set up, she was in the front window in the crib. And when I was coming home from work, there was 12 guys with shotguns waiting to kill me. And I knew then that I needed to change what I was doing and who I was, uh, because if they would have shot up the house, like you see in the movies, she would have been dead. Um, so what mattered to me was getting my kids out of the neighborhood that I was in and the life that I was in. You know, um, we lived with my family, like my grandma had 12 kids. So we were in a house, a four bedroom house with all her kids and their kids and their husbands and wives. It was always 20, 30 people in the house. You know, we'd go to the corner and get government cheese and, and, and powdered milk and powdered eggs because we didn't have anything. You know, this is how we grew up for my whole life. So I thought this is what I needed to do for my kids. Get them in a house where they didn't have to change schools every year like I did. They went from uh, kindergarten to high school in the same neighborhood. They had the same friends. They didn't have to worry about people shooting them up and all this stuff. And later on, as they grew up and I got out of that, that what mattered for me was gone. And I was kind of lost. Like, what do I do now? And so getting out of that salon and going into the solo salon allowed me to kind of re-gauge and re-be like, okay, what do I need to do? You know, where's this going? Because I am burnt out. And I never thought I would say that because that was such a, we talk about standards and ideals, right? Like I was always taught that if you're burnt out, that you suck as a hairdresser because you should never be burnt out, right? If you didn't make six figures, you suck as a hairdresser. If you work more than three days, you suck as a hairdresser. Like, and these were things that ate me alive because I did not want to suck as a hairdresser, you know? And it wasn't even, and technical stuff it was everything around being a hairdresser so I went by myself and kind of just got back into what it was and found out you know something different about what matters to me and and really sat with the idea that hustling is something that's huge right we all talk about it I want to hustle I want to hustle we do talk about hustling but most of us hustle for the wrong thing and so we end up getting burned out we end up going in circles and and we end up with sometimes the nice little things that we get to go out and have fun but then when that goes you're left empty Right. So I find that I, I started hustling for my purpose. What's my purpose in life? Then I shifted from the idea of having things and having money to my purpose in life. What I found that makes me the most happy is helping people, you know, um, whether it's homeless people or the people that are coming over from the border or people in our country that just need help. And that became my purpose. So what I do now is, you know, my mindset is what can I do to make money to be able to give back and help with that? And that became my new why and my purpose but I found that that's what settled me is finding that I am hustling for the wrong things mm. you know and all of that ends up leaving and then I have a hole and then I'm wondering why I'm not fulfilled you know and it didn't matter how big my salon was how many employees I had what I owned how many cars I owned how many houses none of that fulfilled me because all that did was trap me into hustle you know I just got trapped that I had to keep doing what I was doing to get those things and upkeep those things and have those things to get more things, right? To keep up with the Joneses, you know? And then you're just like stuck and not happy, you know? And I tell you my new venture now, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit, I'm the happiest I've ever been, you know? Because it's completely changed everything about what I do, you know? And that, it was a hard thing too, because of a standard that I have that there's no way I would do this, um, you know? And which goes to, again, as a young person, or even now when I teach, I tell people, careful who the mentors you get, right? And I, you know, if you want to be a $100,000 hairdresser, you better get a person who makes $100,000. Because if you go work for somebody who makes 50, you ain't going to make 100000 You want to work in Hollywood? Go get somebody who works in Hollywood because you'll never get there if you don't know how to do it, right? And so now it's like, what do you look for in that mentor that's going to help you get to where you want to be? And is that mentor fully established person like in life, right? Are they full, can they get you to all those things and even more, 
into a deeper purpose of finding what it is that's true for you. Because it's not just hair and it's not just money. You know, this is a, 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 a vehicle, a gateway to get you to that true meaning of what it is. Like I've watched you, you've gone to different things. And I think that right now, like you are the happiest doing what you do. And, and then the reality is it's so far away from being behind the chair, even though you still do hair behind the chair, right? But this is so far away from being behind the chair, but it's the happiest, but you're still involved in the industry, right? Like you didn't have to leave it, right? It's like your way of giving back. And what you're doing is opening up people's minds to there's more than behind the chair. And if you connect to this, this will be better for you, right? Which is what we miss because we all want to be boss, this whole idea of being boss, right? Like, oh, boy, you see it with all the young kids. And it's just like, the reality is, is you went and opened a salon. You don't own the salon, really. You own the contents in that <laughs> building. The building is owned by somebody else. So you have an idea that you own it, but you really don't own anything, right? It's not like owning a house, right? Like McDonald's, they make most of their money because they own the land that the McDonald's goes on. Right. So you're not only paying for for the the ability to have the McDonald's sign, you're paying for the ability to work on that spot. And that's where they make most of their money. They own the damn thing. Right. So everybody who's in a solo salon and thinks they're salon owners, I'm not saying that you're not an owner. You don't own the building. So you only own the contact contents of your little space and, and those solo salons is basically what you bring in because they have the chair for you and they have everything so you own the little boxes of color and that stuff like when you leave you got to leave that there it's not going with you you know so the idea of being boss has to be changed to i want to own something like that this is mine you know not i just own the content content of the inside i actually own the damn thing you know um our friend maureen um in Massachusetts, Marie McCarthy, she was a big Paul Mitchell person. She just bought her own building. And it's so insane to see that she bought the whole damn building. And now she has tenants all around that if she didn't do hair, she would still be fine because people are paying her rent. Yeah. Right. So the person who owns Sola, he's not even an owner because he doesn't own the damn building. Right. But he owns he pays rent on those little things that you're paying him. So he's making money. But in turn, he still has to pay, pay somebody money. Right. Like. You know, JD just sold our building for 25 million. That's ownership. Yes. And he's walking away with 25 million, right? If I shut my salon down and you shut your salon down, we probably owe money <laughs> before we <laughs> walk out. That was the lesson I learned through watching, you know, people like you open their business and so many other people in the last 20 years open salons. I knew that if I was ever going to do this, it had to be on a scale where I was in the green and I was making money where I could basically be my own space. And so I was able to sell my salon in a year and a half after opening and double what I spent on it. So that I think is unheard of. And I would have never known that kind of stuff if I hadn't gone through all the things you did with you watching my other former boss open her space and like all of, all of the stuff that it entails, because yes, until you own that building, it is not yours. It was basically an asset sale when I sold my salon, right? I, I pushed yep. up the piece. So she got through me and then she bought the things that were in the salon. Um, so it, it, it's crazy, but I think that's one of the things that I, when I sat back to see what was going to be next for me in the industry, my first, my first reaction was a little bit like yours. I don't want to fuck with anybody in the industry. I was done. I felt burnt out. I felt defeated by COVID, by not being able to grow my salon the way I wanted to, by realizing I wasn't a really good manager and I didn't fucking want to manage people. I was like, well, 
I best go something else then. And that's when I invested in that mastermind a couple of years ago to see what else was possible for me. What else was I good at? What else could I fucking do that had nothing to do with the industry? And, and the second that I got in front of these people in the mastermind and they made us all like a hot seat stand up in front of everybody and say, what is it that you're here for? And what do you want to create? I like turned around and looked at the group of people and I was like, I want to bring this kind of thought to my industry. I want to have a collective network of people who, who get to know this stuff that you're teaching me right now. We didn't have access to this. There are very few people that went to college first and got a business degree before they became hairdressers. I do know a few and they actually run really successful businesses, but the rest of us didn't. Um, didn't taught any of that. We got taught how to pass state board and that was it. And if you were lucky enough, like you and I, we got put into a really good salon and kind of groomed technically and a little bit through, you know, culture of how to show up in the industry. But money-wise, like, we've always known how to make money. No one taught us what to do with that fucking money. So, like, you and me, we bought things we didn't need, cars we couldn't afford, houses we didn't need, like, all the things. We've yep. made all the mistakes. And, yeah, at the end of the day, you get caught in that hustle and grind. I have to put this many hours in to maintain this lifestyle that I told myself I needed. And, no, you're not happy. And that's when, at 27, I sold everything and moved to the beach. Yeah. And you too, you've sold everything and you guys up and yeah. you've left your salon that you're at now too. And tell us yeah. about your new venture because COVID did a number on you too. I know you got it. And I'm sorry. How are you been feeling? <laughs> um, I had, a, I had a, a flare up uh, a couple of days ago and, or yesterday I was completely out. I slept almost all day and I was worried I wasn't gonna be able to get on the phone with you, but um, yeah, I'm better today. Uh, but I had a busy couple of days. So anytime I exert energy out, um, it really hits me. And um, I'm a long hauler COVID post syndrome. So I caught COVID in uh, 2020 of January of 2020. Um, and we're going on a year and seven months and I'm still dealing with this stuff. So it's, it's crazy. But I want to hit on something you said that was important. You talked about how you knew you weren't management, that you couldn't manage people. A problem with a lot of people is they don't want to put that out there of their faults. They're not willing to see what they can and cannot do. And that's where they get in trouble. Like I've learned what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I've learned that when I try to do stuff that I'm not good at, it fails and fails. Failure's okay. Wouldn't you even say it's not so much that you're not good at it. You don't enjoy it. So therefore you and I yeah. as people who have to show up authentic to who we are, it shows yeah. and it's, you, your yeah. is not good. So being a manager, I wasn't good. I didn't, I didn't do a good job at it. So yeah. It wasn't even yeah. so you couldn't do it. I didn't like doing it. So therefore, yeah, it makes you a shit yeah. person doing that. <laughs> right. But but to own it though, right? And then you know that in the next phase of your life that you know that you have a strength and a weakness, right? And that's where you find somebody to take the weakness part for you and you take the strength part, right? It's like it's it's okay to know that you can't do something, right? Or the or that you're not willing to do it. You know, when me and my wife fight about stuff, I always say, you can't or you won't. And I, you know, I won't do that. I can't do this. You can't or you won't because can't is saying that I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I choose not to do it. Won't is like, I'm just, I won't. I'm not fucking doing it. You know, where can't is, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't want, you know, it's like, I know when I say I can't, I probably can't do it. I just don't want to do it. You know, it's like you can't or won't, you know, you're brutally honest. When somebody comes and says something, you're going to be completely honest and authentic with them. And that's a hard thing to do as a manager, because that's not what people want to hear. People want to be soothed and, and oh, poor you, oh, we'll make it work. Or sometimes people need an ass kicking, you know, but we're not all built 100% to do something. That's why a lot of us go and do work to try to learn how to, to be able to 
to handle those things, but that's not meant for us. And that's okay. Right. You know, it's like, it's okay. Um, and, you know, with this whole COVID thing, this showed me so much. And we had a conversation somewhere in the middle of COVID um, and we didn't agree on something. And I learned, you know, like, I had to step back after our conversation and I kind of, I always sit with things. Like, even if I'm- You're talking about a conversation him and I had during COVID. We were tech, a text conversation. Yeah. And I always- after I'm done with some, I will sit with something. I don't always think I'm right. And that's what it is. And, and I did a lot of work um, for me. Uh, thank, thankful to my wife to help me get out of, um, you know, I was molested as a kid and it really controlled my life for a long time. Um, up until I was 36, when I did this work that my wife introduced me to. And one of the things they talk about is standards and ideals of, of what it is. And after our conversation, I sat with it and I realized that my standard is different than everybody else's. And in me wanting something to look a certain way because I felt that that's what had to be done, right? I lose sight that everybody else has a different standard and a different life and a different way of having to deal with things. And they, they deal with stress differently. So where I got mad at something because it's like, damn it, you're, you're not doing what needs to be done as a collective. You're doing it on your own. Well, shit, they don't have my life they don't have probably the luxury of doing what I would do, you know, and you have to learn that stuff. And for me, what happened during COVID shifted me completely too, because I now uh, have a sprinter van that I converted into a two chair salon, which is badass. Um, but in the beginning, I, I, when we thought about it, I kind of fought it because my standard was, I was taught that hairdressers to do mobile or work out of their house are sucky. They're stupid. They don't, they're not real hairdressers, you know? And I just sit with that. And I'm like, who thought about this shit and made us think this way that this is what it is, where if you can be successful and strive in any which way possible, then good for you. And that's how you should do it. And fuck it. Sorry. You know, but that's just life, you know, everybody's different. Um, and so we had to step back. And after the second shutdown, I was like, I can't do this. I'm paying rent. The owner's not helping you know, and where I was against people opening up in the first part of the thing, because I thought it was just a mess. Um, I was like, everybody do whatever you need to do to survive, you know, because people's mental health was going, people's, you know, everything was just so crazy. Um, so we shifted. Um, I lost probably 50% of my clients through, through COVID um, because of what's happened. And we know clients sometimes want to leave before, but they can't. Now this is the opportunity. You know, there's always things. I don't look at it as one way or the other. It is what it is. And now I have to learn to relearn my hustle in a different way because I, you know, everything's social media now. And I, you know, you look at my social media and I have like 3000 followers. I never pushed for it because it wasn't my thing, you know? Um, and people, so how many followers do you have? If you don't have this many, you're not that good. And blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it's all bullshit. You know, sit in my chair, shut up, and I'll show you how good I am. Um, and, you know, it's, it is what it is. Like, I, I love curly hair. This is going to trip you out. I love curly hair. This is what I do. I'm really good at it. I had a client go to somebody else because on social media, they said they were the curly hair king. And again, the same haircut I would have given them. And I'm like, you never asked me. You always wear your hair straight. She's like, yeah, but this guy specializes in curly hair. I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. this is crazy. That was like, like, the one time I, just, I specialize in everything. Yeah. That was like the one time my mom went to the curly haired lady and came back with like, I, she walked in and I was like, what? She goes, oh, well, they were the specialist for curls. I'm like, I'm your daughter. I've been cutting your hair for 15 years, but who do you think knows your hair better? <laughs> right. Oh, so Right. Funny. So tell it's us like about this video. People tag themselves. Listen, we all we all are fascinated by the latest and greatest we all think there might be something better out there but it's like the difference between 
you know, trying something new. Sure. If you want to go try something new, just like let as here, if you're not a hairdresser listening to this, give your clients permission. If they, if you can sense that maybe they're not super stoked on you or they think something's better, if they've made comments, like suggest it, Hey, yeah, you should go try that person. I'll be here when you need me. That's what I say all the time. If you see one of your girlfriends has some cool color, go try it by all means. Like nine times out of 10, my clients come back to me and it has been tried and true for the last 20 years. Like they might be gone for a while, but the ones that are meant to will find their way back to you. Otherwise it leaves room for new people. Um, And when they come back and when they come back, it's not necessarily the haircut. It was everything you did outside of it that made them say, well, they didn't do this and they didn't do that. And they didn't treat me this way. It's how you do business, right? It's how you do business. Are you doing business better than the next person? And when that, when all that comes down to is how are you treating your people? How are you treating them? Right. But now I go, I park at the beach. I do hair at the beach. I open up the door and I'm looking at the ocean. The other day I saw dolphins jumping in the water. It's like clients are like, holy shit. They're a little worried about it in the beginning. They're like, I had to tell my husband I'm going to a van. And he was like, what do you mean you're going to a van? Like, are you okay? <laughs> you know? And then they're, they'll always ask me, are you going to go back to the salon? And then once they sit in the, in the van and they see the, the beach and they get the breeze, they're like, why would you go back? And I'm like, I know, right? Like, I was, if I would have done this 20 years ago, I'd be in a whole different headspace. You, you know, it's amazing. Have now. I think we had to go. I think that's stuff about relationships now that I'm, I'm like, why couldn't this have happened 10 years ago? I'm like, <laughs> I was ready for it then. You weren't ready. Right. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to speak on something. You wouldn't have the appreciation you do now for what it is. So like, yeah, it's cool though. But to have the guts to pivot and to like move on to the next phase, is like something that's so hard for so many people. So did you have some resistance other than like feeling like you weren't going to be like the top dog anymore, salon, hairdresser, owner, all the things where you just like, Oh, what do I do? Or did COVID just push no. you like, this is the only way. Yeah. I, I, I figured that the way so i always look at things for you know like four five six years from now um i never look at them like in the moment you know when i opened the salon i i thought about like seven years from now what's it going to look like what am i going to be doing um so once all this started happening i just fully was like i can't do this because if we get shut down again and then again right like what are we going to do and if something like this ever happens again and you're watching hairdressers quit doing hair so, so many are becoming real estate agents because they're and this is just across the board people are changing professions because of what the pandemic did to their jobs and they want security you know it's it's happening everywhere i see people complain about people about oh there's no work because people are getting free money well that's one but have you thought of the other part that if you talk to these people that have done interviews, they're like, I've worked 60, 70 hours a week. I get paid shit and I get treated like shit. I'm not going back to that. Like the pandemic has opened people up. They want more money. They want a better lifestyle. They want to be at home with their families. You know, they want to have a better lifestyle than spending their time working all day long. And so when I started looking at the van and we started looking at how people were building them out as houses, and then you hear their stories of how they're just traveling everywhere and all this stuff. And you're like, damn, that sounds amazing. I jumped into the mindset of this will be like the next thing. So I'm okay with it because I, I want to do a fleet now, you know, all these kids want to travel, uh, you know, uh, build one, make it sleep in it, go to festivals, do hair at all the festivals. Like there's so many things that you can do in these things, you know, and, and it's just a matter of having the vision of doing it. So I got the vision quick. My wife put our wall was full of the big, post-it papers mm-hmm. and it looked like somebody graffitied our whole wall because it was just every day we'd write shit down write shit down this that and then we started just you know narrowing everything down to what it was and we had a purpose with it 
you know, this is what it's going to be. And this is what we're going to try to make the future be also, you know, solar salon on wheels. I love it. Who, who wouldn't, you know, we talk about this. Most hairdressers say, I chose hairdressing because of the creativity, the freedom. I didn't want to be in an office with cubicles, right? What happened with pandemic? Everybody had to get freaking paper, I mean, uh, plastic sidings next to them. So you're kind of in a cubicle, yeah. right? And now that I'm out, out in the middle of nowhere doing hair wherever I want, I realize that a salon is just one big thing without the, the cubicles. It's one big cubicle. You're still stuck in a building you know and and there isn't that full freedom now and and talking about ownership right i own this thing it's mine when i'm done paying it in a couple of years everything is profit right if i sell it it's completely mine like there i own it it's mine i own the damn thing it's a full tax write off so even if i'm paying money on it monthly it's a full write off like you know so there's just there were so many things that we started looking at like okay I can have this idea of having the big Robert Crumbing salon and having all this stuff and the, the name and all that stuff, or I can just live a good life, have the peace of, of what it is and the relaxation and not have to have the headaches of all that shit. And, and, and really the stress when the pandemic hit the stress of how am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay my bills? And you saw it everywhere. It, it made people sick, you know, it made people sick. And, and I think people don't realize that that's everyday life and ownership. You know, you wake up every day wondering how, how you're going to pay this, how you're going to make money here, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. And it's just not a good way to live, you know, and I'm all for it now. Unless you're built for it, unless you're built for it and that is your thing. Like everybody, I think at different times in our life are built for different things. And, and you know, because I, I stay around such a, a large network of people owning their own businesses, like the coaching industry, um, product-based business, anything that you can think of, I coach on in this other mastermind now. And it's wild to see, but you know, so many people want that freedom of being their own boss, but at the same time, like being an employee for people or working for someone or supporting someone like say you, who, if you ever did want to open something again, like we need those kind of people in our life too. And so if you are called to own, or you feel passionate about that, like people like, even we want somewhere to work eventually, like people need places to work. So if you are built for that, it's all about building that, um, relationship with your staff that can support that and kind of knowing that everyone that you bring in needs to understand your vision and culture in order for you as the owner to feel supported. I think unfortunately you maybe didn't have all of that put in place because you're such a nice guy. Like had you been more of a dick and an asshole, you could have probably like lined people up and had this little marching band like was done with us and not to say that's how they ran it back in the day, but they kind of did. Yeah. And that's yeah. why fell in line and that's why fucking the military works right like yeah you can create and replicate something that's when you have a scalable business when you can like a franchise if you can't create systems and processes in something it cannot be duplicated so creatives have a really hard time doing the same thing every day that's why we have all different kinds of clients and we do all kinds of different hair um, and that's okay too but it takes i think the business-minded people who can follow systems and automate things those people should be running a creative thing. yeah so the rest of us can kind of just do our thing um yeah so like what motivates you and inspires you now like you're traveling you're getting to do hair from wherever you're seeing your clients a couple days a week here like what what really gets you excited or helps keep you like focused and positive oh man i um i i think i kind of disconnect myself from from hair and my my stuff comes from now just being connected like reconnecting to my culture 
um, learning to be connected to, to this life, to this earth. Um, I love just getting out and being in prayer and, and, you know, blessing people. Um, I know that the, the money I can make now, instead of spending it out, I go help people, you know? So the other day I parked and where I parked, there was a bunch of homeless people in their cars. And I've noticed, I parked there before and I noticed that they, they stay there quite a bit. So I went and bought breakfast for everybody, you know, and that morning it got there earlier and served breakfast for everybody. And they were all just so excited. It's like, they're like, why? And I'm like, I'm part of your community. I don't live here with you, but I'm here in your space. And in our culture, it talks about, you know, they teach us that wherever you go, when you leave, you make that space better than what it was when you left. Now, I might not be out there cleaning it up, but I'm going to make it better by serving them, right? And, and being just as they are and taking care of them, you know? And I think that is what motivates me is, is being able to have a, a, a picture of this is what I'm doing and what I'm doing for that, you know? So I want to get a sprinter made that only, only uh, so it'll have a shower and uh, uh, a space for to do hair and then like a closet. And I want to use it just strictly for homeless people and pull up, have them shower in there, get groomed and then pick out new clothes mm. so that they can, you know, feel better about themselves. Like, you know, take my homeless work that I do now to another level. Um, so I'm looking for sponsors to, to help me get, build out a, uh, a sprinter man to be able to do that and, and move in that direction. But, you know, hair, hair always inspires me. You know, my wife's on set today on a big project, working with some amazing people. Um, and it's inspiring when I came home to watch a woman who has been doing hair for 30 some years, sitting in the living room with all her hair stuff out and she's practicing her hair, right? For what they told her was the, the, the hair is going to look like. And it's set in the twenties and they want finger waves, but they want the finger waves to be grimy and not perfect and fuzzy and big. And so she was having a whole great time with it, you know? And it was just like, that's inspiring that somebody can still want to do that after this many years of doing hair, you know? Like, like me and you, you know, we've been doing hair for a long time. You know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I love hair, but if I didn't do it anymore, I'd be okay. Where my wife's like, I will die if I don't do hair. You know, it's like, this is what I do. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know? I just love the connection I'm having right now in life. Um, which is completely different and opposite of what it is, but it's allowing me to stay sane and be motivated to do hair and move into this different direction, you know, working on myself, right? For so many years, I've worked on other people, you know, giving back to other people in, this, in the business and doing all that stuff that you forget about yourself. And I think the happiness comes from being, you know, with yourself and bringing that out of you. Um, I love being authentic. You know, uh, being authentic with people is important. And if you lose people in your life, you lose them, you know, but I'm tired of uh, Deepak says that it takes more energy to be positive than it does to be authentic. Mm. Right. And that hit me because so much every day we're trying to be positive and have this life that people look up to or say, oh, my God, you're you're never down. It's like it's OK to be down. You know, if you get back up and show why and how and, and what's what's happening to you, you know, we get lost. We get lost in this life. And, and it, it's really difficult um, to go through life that way. Um, that's what I've learned. My biggest, you know, uh, thing is, is that and I, I just want to be authentic with people and just enjoy what we do. You know, I, I, conversations because that's really what our career is about. Yeah. Hair is a byproduct of 
of the relationships we've created with clients. And that's why I think they come back. Yeah, we're good at what we do. And this is that skill set is a practice, you know, being able to communicate and have these authentic conversations. And as a stylist, as somebody in the beauty industry, when you are trying to be somebody you're not in order to get clients, like you won't, you won't be fulfilled with the people that you're bringing in. And so when I talk about, you know, finding your ideal clients, it's through you being able to show up authentically too. And then like attracts like, and you know, I got a mouth and a little edge. And so that's the kind of clients I want to talk to and spend time with. I don't, I don't want anybody I have to censor myself around or be somebody I'm not. And so um, it's your space. It's your circle, right? We talk about this every day. It's like, who's in your circle of influence, yeah. right? And how are they influencing you? Um, there's a great thing that, that um, we talk about uh, the sequoia trees. If you've never been to them, they're amazing. The big redwoods, they're, they're brilliant. Some of them have been here longer than Jesus. Like when sit past Jesus being here on earth, they've been here longer than that. Some are like so tall that they say it takes like 25 airplane stack to get to the top of it. Um, you can't put your arms around them, right? They have fire retardant in them. So when they catch fire, they actually can shut themselves off. One of the things that they, they have that's kind of interesting is they don't have very deep roots, right? Now, depending on plants and where they're from, their roots are different. Like if you ever see a palm tree, a palm tree's roots go everywhere and they mess up cement and walls and you have to pull them out because they just mess up your foundation, right? Cactus have long roots that go down because they have to search for water, right? Uh, redwoods don't have long roots. And one of the problems that they can have is when the winds come, they can get blown over really easy. So if you ever go to them, they grow in groves. So what they do is they inter interlock their, their roots to each other for found, for, for, uh, to help grab each other and, and, and foundational in the ground so that they can't be blown over and they give nutrition to each other. Mm -hmm. So if one starts to die, the other ones will give it nutrients to help bring it back to life. Right. And that's how I view our life is who do you have around? Are they helping you grow? Are they giving nutrients or are they just draining your ass and, and, and you're just hating people? For a long time, I resented a lot of my clients because all they did was want, 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 want. They were giving me nothing back. And I started to really realize, like, if I have to cut my clients down to half, but those half give me life, then I'm happy. Cause it's not about the money. It's I need to be happy going to work so I can be the best hairdresser I can be and be fulfilled. Right. If the people around me, the hairdressers around me that I connect with aren't giving me that, then it's okay. I can cut them out. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's, it's, it's okay to not be with somebody anymore. You can still be friends and not be connected every single day. Um, there's a, I'll share two things that I love. There's a, a show called, and it's my favorite show to watch um, chef's table on netflix it is done beautifully and it follows around each each one is a different um like michelin star chef but it is done it's not just like oh let me interview them they it's so artistic so amazing it's so beautiful but they interview one they have one on one guy who's from argentina and he cooks amazing everything's outside and uh he talks about these parties he throws and he invites people over and one of his friends got really upset with him and said you don't invite me to the parties anymore and he's like look i've known you for 20 some years He's like, I've invited you to all these parties, but we've grown apart. So when you're here, we don't talk and you're not fun and you're not enjoyable to be around. I still like you. You're my friend, but I'm not going to invite you to my party if we're not going to enjoy each other. He's like, the guy got mad, but I just, what am I supposed to do? Have somebody there that's just not fun. And then I have to cater to them and I take away from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's not what life is. He's like, I've learned at my age that I want to enjoy the people I'm around. I want to enjoy the things that I do. 
right? Like, do you enjoy, do you, can people really sit and ask themselves, do I really enjoy this or is this a show? Because everybody else is doing it, right? Um, the other one that I love is T.D. Jakes talks about the three important people in your life. And this was huge for me being a salon owner and having people leave because as a salon owner with hairdressers, you get close to all of them. Like, cause they're around you every day and you guys joke and play and all this stuff, you know, salons don't have people that after, you know, in the beginning anyway, that they don't like, it's like everybody's friends. Um, and he talks about the three people that are in your life and how do you separate them? He says, the first one is your confidant and your confidant is few and far in between. You'll be lucky if you have three or four of them in your life. And those are the people that you can say anything to talk about everything. They are there for you. They're about you. They're about what you're about. And they will never tell your secrets to anybody. They will die for you. Second is your constituents. This is a bigger one, bigger group. The constituent is there, not for you, but for where you're going. Mm. You are in the same position that they are on. They want to go where you're going. They want you to take them to where you've been, like where you're at now. They know that you can get them there, right? So when we talk about mentors, you make six figures, they want six figures. They're going to jump in that taxi with you to get to six figures. But once they get to where you're at, they get out and they leave you because they weren't for you. They were never about you and what you were about, right? They were about what you had and they want to be there. It's like the scaffolding around a building. The scaffolding's there until the building's built and then the scaffolding's gone. Some people are there that will help you build, but they're there for themselves and that's okay. And then they will leave you and that's okay because they were never about you. They weren't your confidant. And then the third is your Conrads. They weren't there for you. They weren't about you. They didn't want to go where you wanted to go. They're fighting the same battle you're battling. So they will join forces with you. But once the battle is over, they will turn on you because they never cared for you and they didn't have the same belief and wanted to get to where you wanted to be. And I've learned to to separate people that way. And that's helped me in my life so much because now I know who's who and it's okay. You're going to leave me one day. It's cool. Good luck. God bless you. I am there for you. I will help you in the next part of your life. If you need my advice or whatever, I know that you're not supposed to be here with me. You know, I think that comes with releasing expectations and the older I've gotten, the more I can just be aware of that and not have such crazy expectations. Like I used to back in the day, you know, being around and having those experiences allows for people to come and go in your life. And in an industry like this, you have to be more okay with that ebb and flow and seasons because you know, who you are when you started an industry is not who you're going to be 20 years from now. Um, even yeah. now, so be open to that and be accepting of that. Abe, where can people find you? I know you don't hang out on social media a lot, but if people want more, you know, Abe, should I just have him back on the podcast? You guys, I think we need to do like, yeah, you can have me on podcast anytime. Um, I do have, even though I don't have a lot of social media, I do have three, uh, three social media, <laughs> three Instagrams. Um, one is my photo stuff because I do photos. I actually win awards doing photos. That was my uh, creative outlet. When I got burnt with hair, I picked up a camera and it's funny because I did so many photo shoots and we worked with some of the most amazing photographers and they taught me so much. And I told my wife, I'm going to buy a camera and I'm going to do my own photo shoots for hair. Well, I bought the camera and I was so burnt out with hair that I started shooting hair and I was like, I don't want to do this. This sucks. Like, so I started doing street photography and just fell in love with it. And that became my passion. And I was out till two or three in the morning, like every night, just photographing things and um, it, it was, it was really, really good. It was a good outlet. I still love doing it. So I have one, um, Instagram for that. So, uh, it's a Baron photography. And then I have my salon one with me and Melissa, um, which is the workshop hair. And then I, I had to do one just for hair 
uh, because everybody didn't think I was a hairdresser. They had no idea I was a hairdresser. They think I'm a photographer because I have more stuff about photography. So I do, uh, I have the hair shaman uh, for, for my hair. Yeah. And um, I just did that one. So, okay. We'll, we'll tag all of your pages in when we post this in a couple of weeks. But if you guys love this episode, please rate and review. Leave us a thoughtful comment. Tell Abe what your favorite takeaways were um, and kind of what you've been going through in the industry because it's in sharing and, and teaching um, that we can all level up this industry. So Abe, thank you for everything you've done for me. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. My career. Oh, you're welcome. Yes. You're I give, welcome. I give you all the <laughs> I only have a little bit. You had to do the work. <laughs> yeah, you can the horse uh, yes, I love that. Well, we'll see you on the podcast again. We're for sure going to have you back. And if you want my wife, just let me know. She's amazing. For sure. Oh my God. I would love yeah. that. You bet. You have should me. see the movie she's on right now. It's so insane. Oh my it's God. so crazy. I can't yeah. Wait. Awesome. So. Okay. Sending you tons of love. All right. Big Thank hug. You.